Welcome to the City Collective Church Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that in today's message, you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. Well, good morning, everyone, and thanks for being part of our online gathering today as we continue into part three of our parable series leading up to Easter. Uh, My name is Jason. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at City Collective. And if this is your first time tuning in with us, welcome. We're so thrilled that you are deciding to be with us this morning, wherever you find yourself on your journey of faith. Christian, non-Christian, atheist, agnostic, not really sure what you think about Jesus. You're, you're, you're wondering all these different things. Well, we want this to be a great place for you to join in in our discovery as well. Now, when it comes to what draws us together, I would say that the idea of story is one of those things that can make us all feel a part of it, regardless of where we come from. A good story it captures our imaginations and it convicts our hearts. And, and I think these past two weeks have kind of revealed to that. We've looked at what the Bible characterizes as parables of grace. Uh, we've looked at the lost sheep and the prodigal son. And, and these stories, maybe you've heard them at one point or another, but I believe that they can be really easily forgotten in, in what they're actually compelling our hearts to understand. I think they're leading us to the ideas of the absurdity of grace and the pursuit of God. And, and, and today we're going to look at the story of the Good Samaritan. And this, this is in reality a very familiar story. Whether you've been in a Christian community or you sat in pews sneaking snacks and toys into the church service while the preacher man was doing the talking or you just tuned into the church service this morning because a friend shared it on Facebook, you are probably familiar with uh, this story, the Good Samaritan. So let's open up by reading together from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. Luke 10, verses 25 to 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, that when he came to, the, came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Great. Well, 
Thank you to Sam for leading us in that reading and to Mike and Abby for being part of our How You Doing segment. If you are new in our church or you're just getting to know people, those are some of the individuals that we really adore. We adore everyone, but we really love them and they're really important parts of our church family. So I hope that you get the chance to meet them. Now, uh, I'm going to say this right off the bat. I don't have any kids and we're not trying to do a COVID surprise here, but we do have friends with kids and some nieces and a nephew. And there's always this consistent, slightly annoying, sometimes impressive moment that we have with them. And they ha ask the question, why? But why? You need to eat all your dinner. Why? Well, so you can be strong and grow. Why? Because you need to. Why? You're little and you need to grow. Why? Because you're a little punk who needs to eat their food and I said so. We kind of get to that point eventually, right? That's why. <laughs> and on the circle goes and goes and, and the story from Jesus is important, but how we get there is worth mentioning as well. Now, I imagine, like I said, that you've heard the phrase Good Samaritan at some point. It's a phrase that's kind of become normalized in our English language. And at this point, I would actually say it's pretty dissociated with the biblical story because it, in general, it simply means someone who is willing to help without ulterior motive. Heck, you, you, you know there's even a, a Good Samaritan Act in the Canadian federal legal system? It's common language at this point. But the story from which it's originated is, is sparked in this biblical narrative by a question from a lawyer. And the text has been translated to indicate that he's an expert at the law, someone who knows their stuff, and, and as any good lawyer, he's a, a little bit persistent. He asks a question, Jesus responds with a question, and I want to pause right here because I think that the questions that we ask can determine the conclusions that we come to. See, Jesus had come to this point and he, he had to ask him a question in response to his question because he needed to know what kind of problem he was dealing with. And I want you to catch this. There are times when the quality of our information is tied with the quality of our questions. This applies to life, it applies to leadership, it applies to parenting, to relationships, it applies to, to dating. Heck, dating should be about gathering data to see if this is a safe investment for my heart. And I know that doesn't sound romantic, but a good date is now not just a good time, it's got some good data, but only that only can come when we have some good questions. So Jesus, he asks a question. And he's asked a question and he, and he, he gets this response and. He says, what does the law say? And then the guy responds and he says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, well, that's great. Do that. And I, and I love that Jesus asks a question because it's almost asking, what is the filter by which you are reading through scripture? Because you can't interpret right if you're reading it wrong. Because here's the thing, the Bible has been used to justify all kinds of ungodly things because people weren't reading it right. So Jesus is trying to engage with them. So what do you know, and then how does that actually move you? Jesus gets the data from, from the lawyer, gets, gets his own words kind of quoted back at him, and he says, cool, do that. But the lawyer isn't having any of it, and he interrupts him again, and he's wanting to justify himself, and he asks, well, like, hold up a second, who is my neighbor? Clearly, he's got an internal question on his mind that he needs navigating, but he's also kind of trying to trip up Jesus. And this question, I, I think it can be imagined from the perspective of like, well, Jesus, you know, I love what you're saying here, but I need you to help me out 
Who is my neighbor? Who should I go and find? Who should I go out and, and love? Who should I pour my resources into and share my life with in love? And, and you kind of want it to, to sound like that, but that's not really the question here, is it? Because the question is formed by the lawyer, who is my neighbor? And then I think deep down, he's actually asking, who is not my neighbor? And we need to be more brutally honest with ourselves, I think. Because we can have well-formed ideas and intentions and well-formed beliefs, ideologies, theologies, while at the same time avoiding the most scandalous implications of God's grace. And I think this question could have devolved into a philosophical theological debate or a set of quick answers as we're prone to do with our little ones. But as Martin Luther King says in his final speech, Jesus immediately pulled that question from midair and he placed it on a dangerous curve between Jerusalem and Jericho. So let's talk about it. This road is about 30 kilometers long. It's about a 30 kilometer walk in the ancient world, the drop of elevation about 3,000 feet. It was a fairly common trip that had a dangerous reputation that all of those who were listening would have been aware of. It's far away from either city, it's in the country, it's really conducive for ambushing, so much so that it was known as the Bloody Pass. And and a man was attacked by thieves, he's left for dead, he's stripped of his clothes, he's beaten, he's robbed, and he has his dignity taken from him, and then a Levite and a priest come by. And I imagine that the priest comes and he goes to the other side of the road, and I imagine him walking and turning his head to the side because I don't have to solve it if I act like I don't see it, right? Then a Levite comes by, and let's clarify for a second what's the difference between a priest and a Levite. Levites are the tribe that priests come from. Priests were the direct descendants of Aaron, and so all priests are Levites, but not all Levites are priests. But we do know this, that both priests and Levites would have had a very highly esteemed and well-regarded nature from their birth and 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 neither stop to help now we can use our imagination to determine why the priest and the levi didn't stop maybe they uh they had an important important appointment to get to maybe a church meeting that they were late for we we can probably vibe with that we are all late at some point Others have speculated that there was maybe a religious law that sent that since a priest was not to touch a, a dead body 24 hours before offering sacrifices on behalf of the people, otherwise it would make him ritually unclean. Well, that's why he didn't stop, because it would have made him unable to enter the holy place. The guy probably looks at the individual on the road and thinks, well, he's dead and there's nothing he can do about it, so maybe he was just playing it safe. And I know that still sounds bad, but at least it would be a bit more pragmatic, right? If you're a priest and your job is to offer sacrifices on behalf of the people, isn't that more important than stopping? Maybe in his mind, he's putting his duty to the community above his duty to the individual. The problem is we aren't told explicitly which direction the priest is heading, but based on the original language, it seems like everyone is heading in the same direction, from Jerusalem to Jericho. And in the Bible, You always go up to Jerusalem, which suggests that they're probably all heading to Jericho. And if that's the case, well, then the ritual purity argument isn't really a problem anymore. And I say all this because I think there are so many ways we can justify walking by. And in some ways, I think we want to. 
Maybe the Levite was heading to Jericho for a Jericho Road Improvement Association meeting, hoping to deal with the problem from a causal route rather than to get bogged down in dealing with an individual in that moment. You, you see how you can make a plausible explanation to justify a wrong action. But the answer to the question, who is my neighbor, is of course wrapped up in the identity of the final character, the Samaritan. Now, if you're not familiar with Samaritans, they were a people group that were essentially half Jewish. Um, they were Israelites that had survived the conquest of the northern kingdom of Assyria. And they had intermarried with the Assyrians and they had developed a, a form of Judaism. And it's really important to understand the, the, the tension in this story. That for hundreds of years, Jews and Samaritans, they really hated each other. Samaria was in the middle of, of Judea and, and Jews would often walk around an entire country to avoid setting foot on Samaritan soil. So the idea of Jesus contrasting a Samaritan, not just with the Jew, but with the highly thought of Levite or priest, would have had everyone in the crowd listening uh, with a little bit of tension, probably feeling a little uncomfortable. And Jesus tells them that the Samaritan doesn't just see him, but he helps him. He takes him to an inn, he pays his lodging, he compensates the owner for further costs, and he promises to return and settle up on anything that goes over. And this is not just baseline generosity. Jesus is doing over-the-top generosity because Jesus knows that when he gets to the climax and he asks, who is the neighbor, there's going to be no doubt left in anyone's mind. But what exactly is the point then? Is it that Samaritans are nice and Jews are mean? Well, no, I don't think that that makes any sense. Jesus is Jewish after all, and most of the audience is as well. So, so maybe ethnicity is just the hook, but it's not the takeaway. In fact, I think that the whole point seems to be that ethnicity, proximity, respectability, familiarity, all of these neighborly markers that start to lead us to actually take an interest and care for others, those ways in which we operate, those things that we hold on to so tightly are completely overrated when it comes to becoming a real neighbor. Perhaps a neighbor is as a neighbor does. What did they see when they saw the man on the road? I don't think they saw the reality of the situation. They only saw an annoyance to their own journey. Maybe it sparked some feelings of fear. They definitely didn't see pain. They didn't see injustice. They didn't see an image bearer of God. And I think it's as simple as this. If you don't act like a neighbor, it's because you don't think they are your neighbor. And it seems pretty simple, right? But if you and I are being honest here, there are all kinds of ways that we are told that we are not neighbors. Our citizenship, our financial profile, our skin color, our backgrounds, our religion, our education. So many barriers that are placed which seem to limit our quote-unquote neighbors to just a few. Tim Keller, he sums it up well in saying that we instinctively tend to limit for whom we exert ourselves. We do it for people like us and for people whom we like. Jesus will have none of that. By depicting a Samaritan helping a Jew, Jesus could not have found a more forceful way to say that anyone at all in need, regardless of race, politics, class, and religion, is your neighbor. This past week, 
uh, we saw the horrific outcome of when we lose that image in others, that image of God. The killings in Atlanta were evil and done by someone claiming to be a Christian man. But here's the thing. The decision to act in such a manner is not a sudden decision. It's not a spur-of-the-moment decision. It's a progressive and often subtle dehumanizing of another person or people group that eventually characterizes the actions undertaken as nothing more than what is needed. This has always been the progression from the Holocaust to the shooting this past week. And if you think that this is only because it's America, you're sorely wrong. Hate crimes against Asian Canadians have increased 700% since the start of the pandemic. If you think that this is not your issue, you're letting your ignorance blind you from a growing problem. Every hate crime, every moment in which racism or segregation becomes the narrative is a reflection of a perspective that has dehumanized the other to the point where the action is justified. And every moment in which we segregate our neighbor into familiar categories, we begin to sow seeds of dehumanizing others that don't fit into those categories. I think the decision to move past someone who is hurting can be seeds for becoming the person causing the hurt. So what causes us to keep walking? Well, one of the things is our preset ideas that we associate with people based upon stories that were told when we were young or appearance or skin color, assumptions of life decisions, of, of decisions becoming generalizations in culture, how we characterize people when we just see them. And these accepted culturalisms, which are never deconstructed, can often lead to reactions of judgment instead of compassion. And this is what we do. We withhold our compassion comport according to the stories we tell to dehumanize and disqualify others. And when we dehumanize people, it is the inevitable, inevitable progression to identify them as the source of evil. And that, my friends, is not the way of Jesus, and that is not what Jesus sees. Thank goodness it isn't. You and I are so often those who keep walking whether it is because of a greater sense of purpose or importance, a general ignorance, insecurities or fear. We've all done it. And yet we're also the man beaten on the side of the road in need of a helping hand. So what would make us stop? I think that the story Jesus is telling is not just so we're morally better, not just so that we're nice people helping people once in a while. I think he's telling the story to show us that in the midst of life, you and I, we're going to fall short. But there is another way. But it is not the way that we have always been told. I wonder if the priest and the Levite, if they looked over at the man on the ground and they thought to themselves, well, the, the robbers might still be there. Or, or maybe he's faking it. Or maybe he's going to rob me. The question that the priest and Levite might have asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But then the Good Samaritan came by and he reversed the question and he says, if I do not stop to help, what will happen to him? The gospel is the story of God rescuing humankind out of a predicament that we got ourselves in. 
God didn't look at Adam and say, well, you broke it. You figure it out. God says, this is what love does. Love makes a commitment to say, even if I didn't help you break it, I'm going to come fix it. Jesus is the good Samaritan that we all need. Jesus is the hero of the story. Jesus is the answer to our problems. And when he says, which is the neighbor, go do the same. He's saying, follow me. This parable shows us that as followers of Jesus, love is not a feeling, it is an action. And what, important, what an important reality this is, that God did more than feel love for me. I'm so glad that God demonstrated that love by sending Jesus to the cross to die as a substitute for our sins. What is, going to, what is it going to take for us to see that he stopped and for us to learn to stop? Sometimes I think we feel like we need the perfect scenario to play out if we're going to act with a sense of love and grace like Jesus. But catch this. The Samaritan didn't see the robbery. He wasn't there. He only saw the evidence of it. He didn't see the origin of it, but he saw the outcome of it. And he saw this man stripped, beaten, bleeding, and broken. And there are things that we need to open our eyes up to. We need to see because we can be living in our own world so consumed by our own issues that we are unaware that our brothers and sisters are hurting. My prayer this morning is, God, would you give us eyes that are open? God, would you give us courage? God, would you provide that revelation needed to spark a revolution? Because grace, it sparks action. Grace, it transforms. Grace, it heals. Grace, it pursues. Because true grace comes only from God. And when we see that grace shown to us, perhaps grace can begin to work through us. You are called, City Collective, to do the same. And perhaps this morning you feel like you're that person beaten in the ditch, bloodied and bruised, and everyone keeps walking by. I want you to know this, that Jesus stops for you. That he picks you up, that he wraps your wounds, that he gives you food and warmth, and he gives you his very best. No matter how much you have rejected him, no matter if you've been your own worst enemy and somehow getting yourself to this point, Jesus still stops. Jesus always stops. Why? Because he has love for you that is committed like no other. And the invitation that we receive is to place our trust in him, in the one who stops, in the one who heals, in the one who saves Jesus. So this morning, City Collective, would you pause? Would you challenge yourself and maybe ask a different question? Why don't we see these individuals as our neighbor? Is that impacting the way that we're, we're speaking about them, treating them, moving towards them? How, how do we need our hearts to be transformed and healed by that grace that can only come through a relationship with Jesus? I believe that we are called to do the same, but we receive grace so that we can show grace. And this morning, wherever you are, know that Jesus stops for you. Let's pray together. So Father, we give you thanks that in our brokenness you came. 
in our great pain, in our suffering, you showed us a new way. When no one else would stop, you stop. Not out of obligation, not out of simply doing it so that you will look good, but out of this unending, unconditional, unexplainable love and grace. I just pray right now for everyone in their homes that you would begin to convict and shape our hearts to pay attention to the areas in our life that we're allowing these, these thoughts and these barriers and the way that we treat others to, to kind of become normalized. That we put up these barriers so that we can have comfortable neighbors. Father, thank you that you give us a different narrative. That the grace we receive is one that we can grab hold of and live out of. For those who are feeling beaten and broken right now on the side of the ditch, I just pray right now that they would discover your love, that your spirit would meet them in their homes, Jesus. That Holy Spirit is working and shifting and changing and providing a revelation of who you are, Father God. So we just believe right now that there is so much good that is coming even here on this online space not because of my words or because of the the way that the video is done but because your presence meets us where we are at thank you that we can come to you and know that we find love in its most pure form unconditional always available freely given may we receive that today May it transform us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it challenged, encouraged, and inspired you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.